to improve on my cryptic message uh, opening yesterday about our upcoming schedule. So this time, and I'm, I'm learning, this is all part of, that's why I'm going to college, learning how to be a pastor. So you should have thought of that before you had me come out here and start your church. <laughs> Too late now. But anyway, so uh, here was the uh, original, uh, that's what we had uh, planned on doing, and there's also, uh, we had uh, planned a trip in March to Houston uh, to see uh, Scott and Joni and stay with them just during the week. And that was our <coughs> plans. Uh, we did this months and months ago. And we thought that's kind of like what we usually do, uh, which is a week at Christmas, a week sometime in the middle of the year, and then sometime in the summer, early, middle, and then summer. Uh, so, um, yeah. And then we were gifted graciously, so very graciously, with a, uh, a trip to Hawaii. So uh, that, <coughs> we uh, discussed it because the timing of it, since this is already done, uh, the timing of it was a little precarious only because it's so close to Christmas. And so that's the schedule now changes to to that. Uh, so, um yeah, the the only thing is is that it, it's it as you look at it, and and the rest of the year is open, so it, it's not it's not a lot, but it is four Sundays in a row, and that's what becomes a a bit of a a bummer for for the congregation. Not a bummer for us because we'll be on a beach, but you know, <coughs> you'll be at least you get to sleep in on a couple of Sundays. I don't know how else to sell it, but. Uh, we, you know, we talked it over with the board of directors and made sure that, you know, it would it would be okay. And uh, again, it's a very gracious thing for us, and uh, we're we're very grateful for the gift. And we decided to to take it. So, um, so there it is. So it's uh, on the website. The two smiley faces are uh, me. <laughs> now uh, uh, we'll be back uh, between Arizona and Hawaii. There's two days there, and I talked to a couple people about, would you like me to teach those two days? And they, they said, yeah. So um, I talked to one person about it. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, uh, Keith said, please, yes. So um, so at least, and you know, we can record those, and they'll be there. And, uh, and then once we get back, after the 15th, we'll be back to our reg- regular schedule. Yeah, I remotely not going to do that. So <laughs> that's not not even an option. Vacation is vacation. I've I've discovered that it with um, with school and my schedule. You know, we, we we're prob- I don't know how many teaches, uh, churches teach four times a week. Uh, I'm sure there's not many, but um, this is a welcome break for me and uh, for my brain. So. Uh, you know, hopefully, once I get back, my, I'll be all charged up and, and ready to go again. So, there it is. 
questions or concerns, send me an email or anybody else an email. Anyway, so uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. I like teaching the Word of God. I, I need a I need I need somebody else to do opening <laughs> announcements. Maggie, when you get older, you're going to be in charge of this. All right, so let's open up in prayer. Oh, I forgot. Um, could you keep Chris in prayer? Uh, Chris has a, a cyst that's large. Here here we go again. <laughs> We found out last night that she has a three-inch <laughs> cyst on one of her ovaries. I don't know which one. Le- left, now I do. And uh, we thought she had appendicitis. She had pain in, in her lower abdomen all last week, and our doctor said it could be appendicitis, which we were, you know, you're expecting it to burst. And so we got concerned enough last night that Chris went to the ER to get it checked out. It's not appendicitis, which is a good thing, but it is an ovarian cyst that's quite large. So we're going to find out on Monday. Uh, we'll contact an OBGYN, whatever that stands for, and uh, and then we'll we'll see and, and go from there. So just asking for prayers for her, and uh, yeah, thank you. All right, let's pray ourselves and get into this morning's message. Thank you, God, for our opportunity to be together and to learn His Word grown grace and knowledge and to be um, uh, educated. And, and this morning we'll be looking at uh, a, a special about Christmas as well. And so be thankful for our Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to start our day off with your word to begin with prayer and your word, to be able to sing together to you, rejoicing as you tell us to, to sing together, to rejoice, to sing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we are filled with the Spirit. We love and enjoy, Father, the life that you have blessed us with. We are so grateful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom you gifted to the world, which we celebrate this season. And through him, Father, and only through him is there salvation, for he is the only Savior. And only through him is truth and life. And we love you for him and love him. And thank you for God the Holy Spirit who bring to life the knowledge of you and your Son. We ask, Father, that through your word, each of us would be enlightened, that we would thoroughly enjoy uh, communication with you this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, all rise, please. Just sing and 
To 
We're going to start in Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, uh, right at the end, verse 28. I decided to kind of focus on the birth of Christ uh, today since we won't be gathering next Sunday. And um, the, the brunt of this is knowing him and seeing him for for who he is. Uh, this is obviously, as we know, more than a child. This is more than uh, more than we know, uh, actually. For even those of us who claim to know him, there's so much of him to know. 
uh, the depth of him um, that we're, we spend a lifetime uh, increasing our knowledge and understanding of him. And so I, I think for many of us, uh, Christmas, although we, we can get caught up in the details of it and the busyness of it and the things we've got to get and the things we've got to do and go, uh, that for those of us who know Christ, it's, it's not that hard to focus on him as the reason, as I say, reason for the season. Um, and, but however, uh, throughout the world, especially in the Western world, uh, almost everybody celebrates Christmas, but many, many do not hardly know who he is. Uh, so what child is this, as the song says? In other words, who is he? And and that's that's a loaded question. It's um, it's a it, the answer to that question is a lifelong pursuit, and it's 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 got so many aspects to it. Uh, and what we're going to focus on today, as and you can see in the title, that <clears throat> the person of Christ, as we know, didn't come to the earth and then you know immediately go to a cross or grow up in obscurity, which he kind of did grow up in obscurity, but he had a three and a half year ministry in which he taught, and he taught and taught and taught. Of course, he did a lot of good works as well, and a lot of miracles, uh, and so the person is also linked to the truth, and the truth upon us, uh, you know, what we, as we look to it, and in that truth is a way of life the truth of that way of life that he has blessed us with, which is his life, which is eternal life, that life has a certain character to it, an aspect to it. Uh, that character is opposed by our sin nature and by the world. And each of us uh, at times struggle to live in that life that we've been given and the character of it and the way of it. As Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And... The what makes the truth come alive and what actually makes us fall in love with the truth and desire to obey the truth is seeing him for who he is because he's the one behind the truth. So if you can answer uh, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, you will fall down and worship him. Just like the shepherds, just like the magi, you will. If you know who he is, you will fall down and worship him. You will find yourself also longing to obey him. Because worship and disobedience don't go together. Uh, if you worship him, you will long to obey his truth. But as we know and we'll see this morning, that he is more than the truth. It's, he says, I am the truth. But it's not equality. It's not like here's God and here's the truth. If God is truth, is truth God? And the answer, the opposite of that is not true. Is truth God? The answer is no. I mean, God is truth, but God is more than truth. He's much more. God is love. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. Uh, and, and he's more than that. So it's not any, it's not any equal sign between God and truth. Uh, we're not to stop at the truth and not pursue the person who is the truth. So we receive the truth, and while keeping it, we move on to greater things, which is life with him. 
So look at the last two verses of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 28 says, Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount. And we're a bit familiar with this lately because we've been looking at the the Lord's Prayer, which is here in chapter 6. And uh, when he had finished, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. For us, uh, if you have red letters in your Bible, you see that the red letters have stopped, and so Jesus has stopped talking. He stopped teaching. And these last two verses at the end, it's really one last sentence, seems like an afterthought, and we kind of give it a flyby and don't give it much thought. These two verses, however, are by no means an idle and useless kind of epilogue, or, uh, but have actually of great importance. Matthew is led by the Spirit to reveal to us the attitude of the people after they have heard this sermon. <clears throat> so we are asked, as it were, having considered the sermon, who's the one who gave it? We are called here to look at the one who delivered it and preached it, as they did. He was. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There's a lot of teaching in this sermon, as we know, a lot of commands. Uh, it, It touches every aspect of the spiritual life how we worship God, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to ourselves. Uh, As Jesus said, this is the way of the disciple. He taught uh, that the commandments had not only a physical aspect, but a deep and personal spiritual aspect. The Pharisees had concluded, scribes and Pharisees had concluded that if, for instance, they don't commit actual physical adultery, then they're good. And Jesus said, no, the command goes farther than that. The command to not commit adultery means that you don't even look at another woman to lust for her. In other words, all the commandments have a deep spiritual aspect that include the whole person, not just the physical. So there's much teaching in this sermon, and when the Lord finishes it, he says to us, look now, it's no good you just hearing this and applauding it. It's no good you just hearing this and praising it. It's no good you just hearing this and for a lot of people debating it. Notice what he says in Matthew 7:26. Well, he says in 25, you know, if you hear these, if you hear it and keep it, you're the house built upon the rock. But in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And notice, it's a warning. You know, why didn't he just stop there? Why didn't he just say, and it fell? We say, well, okay, what you mean there, Christ, is that I need to do what you tell me. And that's exactly right. But he says, great was its fall. Right? He emphasizes it. It's a warning. He gave us a very serious warning about self-deception. What is self-deception in this case? The self-deception we are warned of here is merely admiring the teaching or commending certain things. And, you know, as we people celebrate Christmas all over the world, they admire, I think a lot of people admire the person of Jesus. Right? Great teacher, uh, peaceful man, 
taught peace, you know, gave us that golden rule, which is in this sermon, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But it's, you know, admiring him, admiring his truth, even commending it is not the same as knowing the person who gave it. And that's very important because when he says, look, you have to do this. If you don't do it, the weight of life is going to crush you. That's what the rain fell, floods came, winds blew, slammed against the house. We're the house. And life is going to crush us if we don't do what we're told to do here. And so how are we going to do it? After trying to handle the many commandments and ways of the and ways of behavior in the Sermon by the Mount, we have to admit that we're taken back by a lot of it, or at least much of it. Love our enemies? Don't even look at a woman to lust for her? Judge no one? Oh, come on. There's got to be some I can judge. He says, no. Blessed are the poor in spirit? That doesn't sound right. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for his name's sake. He says, be extraordinary. Don't be like just other people, but be extraordinary, and more and more. And then we are faced with a warning in his final words, that it's not just hearing this, but that if we don't do them, our lives will be crushed under the weight of the world's problems. So why should we heed it? Because we're going to be crushed? Has that ever really prevented anybody? You know, when you warn young people, this, if you keep up this behavior, you're going to suffer for it. And they're like, wow, thanks for telling me. I'll stop right now. No, none of us, I'd say none of us, but there's probably a few out there who heed the warning. I suppose learn the easy way. I've never met one. I've heard, I've heard that they exist, but I've never actually met one. We all pretty much learn the hard way. In other words, pain is a good instructor. God yells at us in our pain. So why should we heed it? Because the warning, you know, the we don't fall apart the day that we sin against these words. Right? If you if you haven't loved your enemies, if you have judged somebody, right? No, the lightning bolt doesn't come. I'm not covered in sores or boils. Uh, all right, I'm good. God forgives. Yes, He does. So we kind of put it off, and we put it off. And we put it off until it really starts to hurt. So why should we heed it? And for example, concerning the last, our focus of the last two weeks, why should we consistently pray as he taught us to pray? And the real reason is actually found in these last two verses. Why should we obey the sermon? It's the person himself. The reason is the one who spoke it. The reason is the one who taught it. Who is this man? He's more than we know. Even those of of us who know him. He's far more than we know. God and man. uh, One who loved the human race. The one who has all authority. What did they say of him? He doesn't teach like the scribes. He taught as one having authority. So we must not concentrate only upon the beauty of the teaching. This sermon is put together beautifully. Actually, the uh, first episode of season three of The Chosen, which I watched a couple nights ago, 
uh, opens with this Sermon on the Mount, and they do they follow it word for word. It's it's marvelous that millions just it, I the, the chosen has a huge following, hundreds of millions of people watch that show throughout the world, and uh, for those who watched it, they heard the Sermon on the Mount uh, this this season. You know, it came out in the theaters a couple months ago or a month ago. Uh, so. <clears throat> Uh, this sermon has a perfect structure. Its illustrations are striking. The images, if you see the speck in your brother's eye and you say you want to take it out, look at the log in your own. Right? The imagery is great. And it's extraordinary. But we must more so than the sermon itself concentrate on the person who spoke it. If we have laws and truths to follow, but we care not or, in fact, do not love and worship the person who gave these laws and these truths, we're doing things just for the sake of doing them. For example, anyone tries to follow the golden rule in, here in the sermon, it's called the golden rule, I think rightly so, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If a person lives that way, and I would say their, their needs are met, they would have a pretty good life. I guess a peaceful life. They'd be considered your nice neighbor. Right? He doesn't have his dog go to the bathroom on your lawn because he doesn't want your dog to go on his. He doesn't throw his trash in your yard. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know why I'm thinking of yards, but whatever. Whatever he does, you know, he's, you know it's, a, it's a rule. People live by it. Some people live by it. But with that rule, if that's what you live by, say, that's my rule. But you didn't know or love or worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Would that rule sustain you when the winds and the rain and the storms of life crashed against you? The answer would be no. It wouldn't. So when we consider this teaching and all the teaching of the New Testament, we're never to stop at just how much we appreciate the moral, ethical, and spiritual teaching. Now, as some say... Well, if we're going to move on to Christ, we just leave the teaching behind. Like it's like we have to have one or the other. And that's ridiculous. We take these moral, ethical, spiritual teachings, but we take them and move on to the person. We go on to the person himself while we keep all the teaching. The authority of doctrine in the New Testament and Old derives from its teacher, Every other teacher in the world uh, is, is known for their teaching. In other words, why is Socrates known by, as, as a great teacher? It's his teaching. It's not Socrates himself. Plato or whoever, Aristotle, the, the Greeks, or any other great teachers, they're known for their teaching. But in this case, the teacher is more important than what he taught. And that's not true of any other person. As I said earlier, we rightly say that God is truth. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, Ego I me, hey Aletheia, I am the truth. Ego I me, I am, hey Aletheia, the truth. But they're not equal. The truth isn't Jesus. He is the truth, but he's more than the truth. And in that passage, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he's more than just truth. So why 
should I heed something like the Sermon on the Mount or all the commandments. You'll find all the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount repeated in the New Testament. I can easily show that to you if you want to see it. Um, And so why should I heed and put into practice what is here? And that is because of the person who said it. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Almighty. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's your creator. He's your Savior. He's your Master. He's your Lord. That's why. Uh, What this gets us around is, you know, should I obey right now? No one's watching. Should I live this way all the time? I mean, no one really sees my thoughts. I mean, I'm lusting after her, but I'm not committing adultery. No one knows. So why should I do it? Well, it's because your Lord told you to. And you know what? It's as simple as that. But it becomes that simple and super motivating when you know who he is. And incredibly, this one, God Almighty, comes into the world as a man, not just a man, actually born from a woman as an infant in a nowhere place called Bethlehem. He's not really nowhere. It prophesied in Micah chapter 5 that he would be there, but it's also the home of David. So do it because of who he is. We might all initially respond, well, no kidding. But then we have to ask ourselves why we don't keep it. And I can say that with confidence because none of us keep it perfectly. I know that. And all of us at some level struggle to do so. Some Christians, if they are so, don't hardly keep it at all. So why don't we do it? And thank God we have in in our prayer, forgive us our debts and our iniquities as we forgive our debtors. If we're in doubt about what the Lord is, that's why we don't keep it. Those who know him more keep it more. More often and are more motivated to because they know the Lord. Right? If you're concerned more about what he thinks about you than when others don't think less of you or judge you wrongly or even in the case where they judge you rightly. Who are you really beholden to? And when it's to him and him alone, that's really true freedom. Because Satan is going to really try and drag us down by dragging down our self-esteem. You know, we're all sinners. None of us do it perfectly. As I said to someone here in the ministry a few days ago, I said, you know, I'm, I, 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 I just don't do this right all the time. And the person said to me, nobody does. Not all the time. He said, yeah, you need to do a lot better. No, he didn't say that. But I do, I do need to do a lot better. But if, I, if we're all rolling around with a low self-image because of our sins and our pasts and, and the unknown stuff that nobody knows but us, we're not going to go anywhere. But when, So how does this change? It changes when you can behold him for who he really is. And we're, he's not tangible here. We can't see him or touch him or hear him. But then... 
the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, I want you to behold Christ like I did. To he even says, touch him like I did and hear him like I did. He's like, John, he's dead. I can't do that. But John said, I want you to. And in fact, he said, it would make my joy complete if you did. So apparently we can. And through his word and the spirit of God is in us to make the word come alive within us. So that though I haven't seen him, I love him. And he becomes truly my real Lord. And now I live unto him. And he's gracious and patient and also exacting. Yeah, if you live unto the Lord, you work harder than you would if you lived unto all those who judged you for your faults. Or for even your laziness, if they judged you for that. You'd work harder for the Lord than you would for people by miles. But you would also be at far more peace and far more esteemed. Far more understanding of that you're okay and you're loved just the way you are. So go to John chapter 7. John 7, 14. So uh, they said that he teaches with authority, not like the scribes. You know what the scribes did is they did what they did what a lot of us do, and certainly what a lot of pastors and theologians do. We say, well, you know, uh, pastor so-and-so says this, and he's the authority. Doctor so-and-so says this, and he's the authority. And say, you know, and a lot of it, I do this too. You know, you got to read this book by doctor so-and-so or pastor so-and-so. And we could spend, we could spend years, we're reading commentaries and we're reading uh, and they're good. They're wonderful, especially good commentaries. They're just terrific. And we could spend all that time and never open our Bible, never actually read the words of Christ. They say, well, I, I don't understand them all. No, that's true. That's true. I, I get that. But there's a lot in there that you would understand. It's not written for scholars. It's really not. The Bible's not written for scholars. We need the scholars because uh, it, there's a lot of it. And they help us with the, uh, you know, comparing Scripture with Scripture. They help us with language uh, because of the original language is not English. They help us with history. They help us with context. Uh, but the authority is not the pastor, the doctor, the professor. Not at all. Because they can get it wrong. The authority is the Lord. And the people get this. The scribes would therefore, and they're famous for this. In, in Jerusalem, there was two schools. Gamaliel was one, and his name starts with H. It's not coming to my mind. It doesn't matter. And they fought with each other. You know, one of them was very conservative, and one of them was more liberal. It's kind of like Republican-Democrat in Jerusalem at the time. And depending on what school you attended, you know, you'd be a rabbi or a Pharisee or a priest who uh, you could be a scribe. 
who would be either on the liberal side or the more conservative side when it came to Judaism. And they fought with each other. They argued with each other. And in fact, we're warned by the Apostle Paul to not do this. Paul warns us in his epistles, don't argue over things that are you know, either obscure or can't be truly answered. Or, and really, don't argue at all. If you need to reprove, you do it gently. And we do so from the Scripture. And there's a wonderful... Uh, uh, Todd Miles is a professor up in Portland at Western Seminary. Uh, he's excellent. He's affiliated with Corbin down here. He's actually come and taught there a few times. And I read one of his books for one of my courses, and uh, it was a theology book. And in it, he said, "There's the three greatest words in theology is, I don't know. And he's, it's, he's got that humility that says, like, this is clear in the Scripture. This, well, depends on what school you're from. Who's the authority? The school? No. Schools don't have authority. The Lord has authority. So when we're tempted to argue or debate about any one of the teachings that our Lord gave, we forget that he is the one who gave them is the Son of God. Look at John 7:14. But when it was now uh, the midst of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Boots, and Jesus goes to it. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. And the Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? He didn't go to school. He didn't go to one of the schools that would make you a rabbi or a Pharisee. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, it sounds a lot like the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Hear this and do it. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. And this is brilliant. You know, if this is truth, if you live it, you'll find out that it's truth. If you don't live it and you debate it, well, you know, it's like trying to prove something on paper. It's something that's actually real and not you know, something like a math equation. Not that math isn't real. <laughs> but that, you know, this is about life. And how do you know true things about life? You can't write it out on paper. You've got to do it. Right? Do you know about love if you memorized one of Shakespeare's great sonnets or whatever? You know, do you know about war? If you read War and Peace or any book about it, do you know things that are true to life if you just read about them? No. You have to live them. And therefore, Jesus is showing us here that his truth is about life. And he said, well, if you want to know if it's from God or not, or if I just speak for myself, be willing to do his will and you'll know it. Verse 18, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking... The glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And Jesus says here, what do I seek? What did I come into the world to do? Well, I sought the save, to save the lost. 
But he also, in his humanity, amazingly, he obeyed the will of the Father. So it's in Psalm 40. I don't know what time we probably won't be able to get to it, but it's in Psalm 40 where uh, it's stated, I have come to do your will, O God. And in that passage, he says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but in the scroll of the book it is written of me that I come to the world to do your will. And this is repeated word for word in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews says, That's the Lord. I've come to the world to do your will. So why should we obey his will? Because of who he is. We've got to find out who he is. More so. More so than we know. And when you know more about him, you need to know more. Uh, and, and the reality of it. We need to walk with him. He's in us. Uh, we wear him. He said we put on Christ. He's to be with us. Jesus said, if, uh, if, you, if, uh, if you obey my words, my Father and I in John 14, I think it's 23, if you obey my words, I and my Father will build our house with you. So the prepositions in the New Testament are, are wonderful things. In you, on you, with you. They're all prepositions. All describing what he is to us. So then, so at the feast here, so first off, the reason we will find our joyful obedience is because we truly see the Lord Jesus for all that he is. No one ever taught like this before. Well, what does that mean? It means he's like nobody else. So can I discover the Lord Jesus through you? If you have the truth of his word in you, yes, I can. But not just through any person. We are made as new creatures, the light of the world. You shine that light, you can see Jesus through other people. See the Lord. But what you're seeing through them is the truth. We will find our joyful obedience, not just this grudging like, God, oh, i got to do this. When you have that attitude, what's your focus is yourself. Right? You have your eyes on yourself. You're occupied with yourself. And you say, well, you know, all these laws that Jesus gave me are, or the New Testament gave me are kind of getting in the way of what I want to do right now. So I say, okay, I'll just do them and get them over with and get back to myself. Eyes are on yourself. It's an obedience, but it's a grudging one. I'll do it. Fine. But it's not a joyful obedience. And that's what he wants for us. That's what we're after. So at this Feast of Booths, the, the Pharisees and the chief priests had had enough of Jesus, and they said to their guard, go arrest him. And it's at, at this point, and we know in the Gospels that they were very concerned about the opinion of the people. But at this point, they said, to heck with the opinion of the people. Go arrest him. And go down to John 7.46. The officers returned without him. They said, go get him. The officers returned without him. They said, where is he? And, Jesus, and the officers said, John 7.46. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The officers went to arrest him, and then they heard him teach, and they were like, we can't arrest him. No one speaks like this. 
Did they understood what he said? I don't know. What they understood is that this was no normal man. And he surely is not. All right, to Luke 2. Let's go to the birth of our Lord. Go to Luke 2, 8. Luke 2, 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior. Now this word Savior in the Greek soter uh, is used by the Greeks for a lot of different people. Now the Greek language had been around for hundreds of years before the New Testament's written. And soter is used for Zeus in, in places. In other words, he saved somebody. It's used for people in battle where they were saved. It's used in Wonderful stories, I read this, I read about, I didn't read this story, of uh, people, of this guy escaping from another one and he crossed a shallow river and the waters rose to keep them separated. The guy couldn't pursue. They use this in Lord of the Rings, I found out. Uh, same thing. And, uh, and, and it uses Soter. The man was saved by the river. Uh, in, the, in Greek writing outside of the scripture, Soter or Savior is used when people are saved from danger, uh, from war. It's in mythology, used by gods, and also used in history by people. But nowhere is anyone saved from sin. Nowhere is anyone saved from death. In other words, delivered from death to eternal life. In some cases, sure, in the literature that you know, people are delivered from death. Their lives are saved. We say, you saved my life. That would be so terror. You are my Savior. But nobody is this Savior. For today, again in verse 11, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Kyrios. There's not, this means nothing else besides deity. Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Wait a minute. The Lord, and I'm going to find a baby. Wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared, a, um, uh, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to, God in the glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone, and that really, that uh, there means peace between heaven and earth, not for all men, but for those whom God is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they had made known the statement which had been told them about this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at these things, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So we see angels, Mary and Joseph, and these shepherds, and certainly we would include the Magi when they show up later, that all of them are filled with great joy, praising God, and filled with wonder and awe at everything that is here. But Jesus is obviously a few hours old, maybe a day old, I don't know. And yet he's not teaching anything, certainly not yet. He hasn't said anything, he hasn't taught anything. But they praise God and are filled with joy for the very fact that he's there. It's him that's important, right? It's the person. The angels call him Savior. So the sermon is not about him or simply from him. Uh, Sorry, not words about him or simply from him. Those things are true. They are very true. They are, there are words about Him. They are from Him. There's several places in this wonderful sermon where Jesus says, you know, blessed are you when you're persecuted for My namesake. Now, imagine you're there that day listening to that sermon And what is this guy that you're listening to? Well, you know he's from Nazareth. You know he's an artisan. He's a a carpenter. He's not educated. He's not a rabbi. He doesn't have a title. Um, Let's say you're, you know, you're there to hear because he's so popular. You know he performs miracles. So there's something special about him. But then he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake. Who in the world says anything like that? You're persecuted for my name. Blessed are you. Who's the man? You know, who is this? I came to fulfill the law, he said. I came. He didn't say I was born to do this. A lot of people say that. I was born to do this. No, he said, I came. And again, in Psalm 40, this is prophesied. Someone would come. As he would say later, I came from heaven. Concerning murder, adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, and love, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he gives a deeper instruction. Where does he get off? Where does he get the authority? For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life. I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these lilies. And then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, Rabbi, Rabbi. Not everybody who says to me, Rabbi, Rabbi. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Speaking to Jews. If you're speaking to Gentiles, Lord could mean, you know, a a sir or something like that. But to Jews, uh uh-uh. That's God. And it's repeated. Lord, Lord. It's emphasized. And then he says he's going to judge them. For what? Who is he? Where does he get off saying that? 
And then at the end he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts in them will deliver his life. It's not simply words about him or simply words from him. They are his word. It's his truth. So we, we go from the infant that they praise because he's there and they don't really fully understand who he is. Not yet. But they praise him. They praise God for him. And then we fast forward to 30-something years later where he's teaching the truth as one with authority because of who he is. So we celebrate his birth, and absolutely. And yet we also, day by day throughout the year, celebrate his person by obeying him, by loving his commands, by loving his life. And so our ultimate joy, as we apply this now, our ultimate joy should be rooted in beholding him. Every day I can behold him. Nothing stops me besides my own distractions. Every day I can pray. Every day I can search his word. Every day I can just meditate on him. I can speak to the father of him. He's the only savior Lord and teacher. He is love, joy, and peace. He's the only source of it. If we don't find our greatest joy in beholding Him, then we love something more than Him. And that's what He said. He said, even if you love your mother and father more than me, you're not worthy of me. So our ultimate joy should be rooted in beholding Him. Again, as I started, how many throughout the world are celebrating Christmas who don't know who Jesus Christ is? And so it's a fun little season that comes and goes and then we're back to the grind and the rat race. But not us. Not not believers. We celebrate Him every day. We praise Him every day. So the crowd said that He didn't teach like the scribes. The scribes argued. The scribes referred to other experts as they interpreted the law. Jesus spoke as they were his words. Could any of us speak with the confidence of our Lord? That would be a stretch, right? To do anything exactly like him. But we're told to be exactly like him. First, we're told in Colossians that as new creatures were made in his image, Colossians 3.10. We are in his image. And we're made new. But why are we made new? So we can follow this life. He saved us so we can follow this life. We can behold Him. If we try to follow the life without Him, in other words, without a relationship with His person, we'll burn out. We won't do it. We'll fool ourselves that we're doing it, but we'll burn out. Because it's truly our relationship with Him, the One, that makes it very real and gives us our motivation and our insight and our love of the way. Because the way is going, your flesh is not going to want to do it. I think you know this, but I'm just saying it anyway. (laughs) Your flesh isn't going to want to do it. The world isn't going to approve of it. Satan will send judges, gossipers, people to hurt you, people to persecute you. Jesus said that the last of the Beatitudes is blessed are those who persecute you. 
The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. The last one, blessed are those when they persecute you for my name's sake, yours is the king, theirs is the kingdom of God. The first one, yours is the kingdom of God, the poor in spirit, the, those who are persecuted for my name's sake, yours is the kingdom of God. It shows that the poor in spirit are persecuted for his name's sake. So it shows you that it's not really, it doesn't have to be the monetary poor, but it's those who do not consider the things of this earth to be their true life. Is he from the earth? No. So in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord revealed himself while he revealed the spiritual content of the law. Again, the Pharisees had said, look, keep it physically, you'll be fine. Jesus said, no, it's far more than that. It's mind, soul, and body. So, we say, okay, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it perfectly. Why can we? Well, we're new creatures in Christ. And part of that blessing of being a new creature is that you have the Holy Spirit within. Another blessing of being a new creature, which is the new covenant, is that the word can be written on your heart. This is significant. Written on your heart means that it becomes a part of your very fabric. That which is alive and powerful, which is the word of God at Hebrews 4.12, it actually becomes a part of me, within me. So I'm going to keep it perfectly. And I do hope, I pray, that you set out to do so. That you don't give yourself like, well, here's my weak area and here's another weak area. I'm going to give myself those areas and not try to obey God. And I'm going to give God the rest of my life over here and you're trying to compromise, it is not going to work. We're not going to keep it perfectly, and we know this. We know it by practice. We also know it from the Scripture, that none of us are going to become perfectly sinless. We have all come short of the glory of God. All of our strivings, therefore, as Jesus reveals to us, as the New Testament reveals to us, and the Old, are not going to make us righteous. None of our works are going to make us righteous. No matter how hard we try, we will never be able to stand in the presence of God unless Christ makes us that. So we strive to keep these things. But none of us are going to keep them perfectly. So are we righteous? Yes, by his work, by the cross. We know that. Can we stand in the presence of God? actually with confidence and boldness because of the cross. And we know this by his death, burial, and resurrection. We who have believed in him are saved. We can stand in the presence of God with boldness. And then he gave us this teaching, which is picked up by the apostles in the New Testament and expanded greatly, I say greatly, but the same principles that Christ taught in the Gospels are found in the epistles, and they're, they're expanded a bit. And so what do we find? Uh, he came, Jesus came to give us a new life, and then he gave us the full law of that new life. In other words, the life comes with the way, law, and truth, or a truth, way, and life. Uh, the way is the law of it. Meaning what we're to do, how we're to conduct ourselves, how do we're <clears throat> to conduct ourselves alone, to treat ourselves, to take care of ourselves, uh, to what we are to be in conduct and behavior and in thinking and in speech, and how we're to treat one another. 
and how we're to glorify God, how we're to do church. It's there. And it's all a part of this new life. That life has a loss. Some have altered that life and said, well, now I know what it is. But they they don't know what it is. They've lessened it. They've altered it. They've compromised it. So they kind of ignore some things in the Scripture. They pick up other things and they say, here's the law. It's incomplete. He gave us the law of the life that He actually is. He made us alive in His image to follow it. And we follow it. But not because of the law itself. I mean, that's, that's the brunt of the message here this morning. We're not following it just for the law itself. You know, it's a good idea to be good. That's very true. Will your life be better if you're good? Mm-hmm. As opposed to bad? Yes. Your life will be better. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is, is that the good, the truth, the way is showing us, revealing to us, and actually is a part of our beautiful Savior. That's who He is. Our beautiful Savior. He's the beautiful life. He's the strong hero. In Psalm 45, He's the hero warrior, and He's also the fair and gracious poet. And we follow Him. And to follow Him, right? He said, pick up your cross, follow Me, you have to deny yourself daily. You have to deny the flesh and to follow Me. And so here in we say, well, it's not just the truth that we're after, it's Him that we're after. And this is what gives us our great joy and motivation. The closer your walk is with Him, it's the more joy you have, the more peace you have. Um, and you find this, we all find this out. By our own natures, we could not possibly live that, that life. We have to be made brand new. And by his teaching, he also is saying that he has come to give us this life. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the only person who could ever say such things would be the Son of God. And then he told us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And that's what he is. And he made us like himself. He didn't say, you're like the light of the world, or I gave you the light of the world. He said, you are. And we wouldn't be unless he made us brand new. So he didn't come to give us a new teaching, but to give a life that makes the teaching a living reality. And then on top of this, in fulfillment of the new covenant, he gives us the Holy Spirit as our comforter. Uh, uh, Parakletos in Greek, it means helper. That's what it is translated sometimes. It's helper, comforter, teacher, guider, empowerer. The Holy Spirit is within us. So. He made us new and then gave us the Holy Spirit to make this life, which has these incredible laws, a reality. It's His life. His life has a reality. Remember in John 7, He said, if you, if you do the will of the Father, you'll know if it's true. If you don't do the will of the Father, well, it's just going to be a theory. And theories are fun. They're just not real. So, he gives us this new life. That's what he came for, to save us. 
He gives us this new life. We could celebrate, you know, it's you're saved. Oh, Lord, I mean, I think about it. It's just so simple, and I believed it for years, but have I really understood it? And I say no. I mean, there's so much more to understand of just salvation itself. You know, what does it really mean for me to be who I am in Christ Jesus? And I can't lose my salvation. So I have always at my disposal this opportunity to walk this narrow road that Jesus called life. The writer of Hebrews called the new and living way. But does he make us perfect in behavior? No. Someday. Someday we will be. Not now. He makes us new in his image while continuing to have the stain of the flesh, which again we need we need to be comforted from and forgiven of or we're going to be always with a low self-image and we're not and then we will not live it our past is filled with sins it's littered with sin but we have the power to overcome the flesh is as stain but we have the power to overcome the flesh by the newness of the spirit which he gave us we have the power to steer Our ships, if you consider our bodies as ships, we have the power to steer our ships in his direction. At times we get off course. But are we ever lost? No. Jesus is always there. Our Lord is always there on the horizon. We can always turn the ship aright and follow him at full speed ahead. And we have, can always have as our desire because of him. We, just, we want to be close to him. We want to be with him want to know Him, we always have our as our desire to be right on His stern, if we keep the ship analogy. The back, the stern is the back of the ship. We want to be right with Him, right behind Him. So one last passage. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. He came to make us just like Him. He came to give us eternal life. He came. This life has a, a way to it, a truth to it. Um, and it's Him. He, he lived it. He exemplified it. He came to teach us what the life is. And then He said, look, you have to obey the will. You can't just debate it and say you love it and say it's really great. What a great message. And not live it. That is the key. Right? No, matter, no matter how the truth is dressed, you have to live it, he says, or you will be crushed under the problems and weight of life. He came to start a new humanity. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15. He is God's new man. And all who belong to Him are going to be conformed to His image. And notice 1 John 3, 2. We know, John says, that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. We'll be just like Him. You know, we always... Uh, um, uh, uh, why am I forgetting that word all the time? I don't know. But uh, we want to have His scars. But we will be like Him. 
So, and despite the fact that the Lord has not been here for 2,000 years, and despite the uncertainty of many things in our world, which uncertainty and pressure and pain at times, um, either coming from the world or from within us, from our sin nature, they challenge us and threaten us. They threaten to make us lose our peace. They, they uh, compete for our affection. We know the one who came into the world and the one in whom we believed. And notice how Paul writes it. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So he says to Timothy, retain the same standard of sound words which you heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You see that? He doesn't say, now, Timothy, make sure you retain the standard, period. Or you're going to be in trouble, which of course he would be at some, some level. But retain the same standard which you heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's because of him, Timothy, that you retain this standard. It's him that we follow. It's a person, a God-man. And then he said, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And treasure in that context, man, that's a loaded word too. Now, what is that treasure that is within us? The Son, the Spirit, the truth, the righteousness, the justification, our adoption, our election, on and on. A treasure that is within us. Paul says here, I entrusted it to him and he's able to guard it. No one will take it from him until I see him again. And again, so, our Lord came into the world to make us new. By making us new, he also gave us a life. And then he said, follow this life. Do this life, or you'll be crushed by life. But then we find out that, you know, the words of his teaching are his, that his, with his authority, that we are, it's not... We don't just go to the teaching and stay there. We go to the teaching. We learn the teaching. We take the teaching. We hold on to it. And then we move on to the person. And forever we're following the person, but without leaving the teaching behind. Praise God for the birth of the Savior. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, all you do and for blessing us here in the way that you do here on earth in the manner of our Lord and Savior's sacrifice who, through whom you have made us new, that you, Father, have uh, blessed us with eternal life. You've given us the ability to praise and glorify you, as well as to live out the spiritual life and to see the truth and to enjoy it. Thank you, Father, for your tremendous gift. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we'll take our offering this morning. Thank you all, and uh, again, we'll have uh, we have class for the rest of this week, uh, Tuesday through Thursday, and then no, I forget what date it is, I, but I think it's the third that we'll be back again, uh, January third. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priests. We do give to you in honor of you. 
and we thank you, Father, for the ability to do so. Bless us, Father, to use these gifts to your glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Close of prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. We, uh, the closing moments of our service are dedicated to anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. And if you have not, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, who is your Savior and mine. He's the Savior of the world. If you believe upon Him, you will be saved. He died on the cross for your sins, for the sins of the whole world. And he is resurrected again on the third day and is alive now, seated at the right hand of the Father. He awaits you by faith. You will have eternal life if you believe upon Christ as your Savior. Again, he died for you. There is no other Savior in the world besides him. Believe upon him and you will have eternal life. Thank you, Father. For all you are, bless this day in Christ's name, amen.